For us to go ahead and get started tonight, if we can, please. We are honored and thankful that you're here tonight. It's a brisk, cool uh, Wednesday evening, but it's nice in here, and it's even nicer because of the fellowship that we enjoy with one another, and of course, the opportunity to grow spiritual as we study God's Word. And tonight, we're blessed to have visitors, and we always are honored to welcome our guests, and uh, we hope that you'll give us a chance to express that to you before you leave. Of course, tonight we continue our uh, Bible classes and uh, we encourage you to uh, really take advantage of that tonight. Have a few announcements uh, before we get started tonight. First of all, lads to leaders this Sunday, uh, the fruit day, uh, that'll be the Bible Bowl at 415. And of course the uh, fruit basket's coming up on December the 16th and the progressive dinner on the 18th. Also men, uh, our men's breakfast last time was a hit. We got another one coming up 
a week from Sunday on December the 11th at 8 a.m. I think last time it was at 8.30. Kind of had to rush to eat those biscuits, didn't we? But I think it's at 8 o'clock here, so that's good. So men, many of you said you forgot to come or forgot about it. Uh, you don't forget this time. It's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful period. Uh, teacher Appreciation Night's coming up on Sunday, December the 11th in the NX following our classes. And uh, this dessert and coffee fellowship will be hosted by SALT Team 1. Also, if you would like to honor a loved one during the holiday season with a contribution to one of our ministries, uh, those forms will also be out December the 7th uh, through the 14th. Uh, SALT Team 2 has a collection box and the following items uh, need to be uh, brought, if you can bring those things, Bible-themed coloring books and crayons, uh, gently used or new Bibles for adults and children, any other Bible-based books and magazines and study materials they're collecting uh, for the closed closet. Also, ladies, you're having an ornament exchange uh, this Sunday, December the 4th, at the Elliott House following evening Bible class. Uh, you ladies are encouraged to bring an ornament to exchange and holiday finger foods, and it says we'll take the bus, and so please sign the list if you want to ride. Also, uh, the forest want to invite everybody to their open house uh, coming up this Sunday, uh, December the 4th, from 2 until 4 o'clock. Uh, know that uh, the forest will be looking forward to having us uh, in their home. Also, when, uh, Monday night uh, is the Christmas parade here in Boonville, and we're going to be serving hot chocolate and cookies in the annex prior to that parade at 5 o'clock. And homemade cookies are needed, and uh, if you can help with that in any way, please see Tommy Barragona. Also, our visitation team, December assignments for visitation members. Uh, your assignment will... Uh, you'll be assigned, be able to send cards listed in the card shower. Please uh, check that and make sure you've got that or see Dale Kendrick if you've got any questions. Uh, also, want to remind you of the weekly food pantry item. That's instant potatoes. Now, probably this month we're going to get close, maybe surpass helping 200 families with food, which is a tremendous amount and uh, it's certainly uh, something good for the church to do. Uh, it's something that uh, allows our light to shine here in the community. But if you can help out with that pantry item, we would very much appreciate it. Let me also remind you to please get one of the bulletins before you leave tonight. It'll have an update uh, on the sick. And uh, you're encouraged to do what you can to uh, see who is not here because of sickness and try to encourage them any way that you can. That's all the announcements that I have. We'll now enter into our devotional. Part number 927. 927. Then turn to 895. 895. Two verses. Okay. Eight ninety-five. Eight ninety-five. 
probably, like me, have had the unfortunate experience of overfilling a glass or a cup. Maybe you were distracted by someone talking or something happening in the house, and as you were pouring your drink, it just overflowed and it spilled. And, you know, that's when you rush to get the bounty paper towels to see if that commercial is true. And uh, certainly, you know, the cleanup, you know, can be messy. However, when it comes to overflowing spiritually, that never creates a mess. We need to try to be overflowing spiritually. That leads to an abundant life. You know, Jesus said in John 10 and verse 10, I come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Now, that word abundantly is the opposite of meager or paltry. It indicates a life that is filled to the brim. It's super abundant. And the only way that we today can have such an overflowing spiritual life is for each one of us to determine that we're wholeheartedly going to serve and love the Lord, our God, with all of our hearts. You know, Paul teaches us to walk worthy of the Lord fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, Colossians 1 and verse 10. Now, an abundant life in Christ doesn't come by being sparing in our devotion and in our works. We must aim and we must strive for a life that's fully pleasing to God and you know, my prayer for each of us is that we might somehow achieve the overabundance of joy, the peace, and the confidence that comes to a Christian who's dedicated and committed. May it be the case that each one of us live our lives that we can say, as the psalmist did in chapter 23 and verse 5, that my cup runs over. What about your cup spiritually tonight? Is it partially empty? Could it be dry? Is it lacking in commitment and dedication to God? Maybe you don't have anything in your spiritual cup tonight because you're not even a Christian. You've never obeyed the gospel. Tonight you have the opportunity to do that if that's your need. If you come tonight in simple trusting faith that Jesus is the Son of God, and if you're willing to repent of your sins as they were told on Pentecost in Acts 2 and verse 38, tonight you can be baptized into Jesus Christ, buried with the Lord in baptism, Romans 6, 3, and 4, and the Lord will add you to his church. And so tonight, if you need to respond to the invitation, we ask that you come now while we stand and sing.
59. We'll sing one verse of this after the closing prayer as the teachers leave for class. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we're ever so thankful for this opportunity we have to gather here in this midweek Bible study. We're so thankful for the facilities we have here and ever so thankful for the ones before us who paved the way and, and did the work that we enjoy now. Lord, we're ever so thankful for our health or strength and ability we have to come out and assemble. Pray, Lord, that we'll exhort one another. Pray, Lord, we'll be positive to others. Pray, Lord, we'll be an example and others will see Christ in us. Lord, we ask at this time the many that are sick and afflicted, the many bearing burdens, Lord, we pray for them. Lord, we pray for peace and comfort to them, health to the ones, and healing to the others. Lord, we ask that you be with our country at this time. Lord, we pray for unity. Lord, we pray for our military and the ones overseas and the ones here at home also. Lord, we pray for them. And Lord, we pray for the many prisoners of war, the ones that have possibly been forgotten. Lord, we pray that we'll always be mindful of them. Lord, we ask thee to be with us as we enter the study hour. Lord, pray to help us separate the stresses and worldly things from our mind. Pray, Lord, we'll meditate upon thy word and grow from it. Lord, we ask thee to forgive us of our shortcomings. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. What a song of
evening, everybody. Glad you're able to be here tonight and looking forward to our study together. We're actually looking at what the scripture says about the church, and we've been just developing some ideas, trying to understand what the Bible's description of the church is, and looking at lots of different pieces of that. But before we do it, we're going to go through our list of sick people, and I want to share with you the names that I have, and then if you want to add somebody at the end, we'll put them on there too. Irene Baker's Melinda Hester's mother. She has terminal cancer. Martha Eaton's recovering, but she's sitting back there. So we're thankful that, that she's over. She had some sickness over the last couple of weeks. We're glad she's back. Austin Wentz is undergoing um, chemo treatments, uh, over 100 of them uh, every day. So just remember him as he's enduring all that. Ann Stevens and Don Dawson are both not well. Uh, Wade Davis is still missing since June 22nd. Carolyn Wilcutt's in recovery. Bobby Petty's Joe Garrett's friend. He has lung cancer. Kelby Smith has Parkinson's and there are just a lot of accompanying uh, sicknesses, illness occasionally. Cody McGee's recovering from his foot surgery. Vanessa Williams has leukemia. She is a member at Snowdam. Eric Fitzsimmons had a setback. He's going to be going to Vanderbilt for more tests. Chopper's still suffering, but Chopper's sitting right there. Chopper, you're an inspiration to us. So we're, we're glad you're here, but you're hurting, aren't you? Okay, he's an honest man. Uh, so just think about that. I, I just, I think that's wonderful. He's able to be here. And, um, if it weren't for you, we'd be talking about Brenda. Brenda's also been dealing with some things. Uh, so remember her. She's got some procedures coming up soon. Larry Kennedy's uh, brother-in-law, Becky Johnson. He's been undergoing some tests. Cassie Stewart got the cast off her elbow, I think, but found out how painful this thing is without the cast. So please remember her. She deals with pain a lot. Danny Ramdahl is... One of our missionary preachers in Guyana, he has kidney failure. Cheryl Hoffman has spinal pain. Linda Beard's recovering from her knee surgery. Ben Roberts has pancreatic cancer. Paul Rollison has brain cancer. Reed Sparks lost both of his legs. Lex uh, Crossan has several health issues. Juanelle Thompson's been in the hospital with a bad respiratory infection. She went home. That's great. Uh, Betty Lauderdale fell, broke a bunch of ribs. That's a very painful injury. Pat Cooper's having some stomach pain and undergoing some tests. Uh, Martha, any update about that? Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, Dorothy Hester fell, and she was bruised up, but I think she's okay. Uh, Joan's sister Norma's having a, a hard time right now. Tony Presley has leukemia. Diane White's not feeling very well tonight. Uh, our daughter has a friend, John. He's 32 years old, he has a wife and a two-and-a-half-year-old son. Uh, his wife found him unresponsive today, 
and she tried to do CPR, and it's a terrible situation. So they, they have started this hypothermia protocol, kind of cool his body, try and, I guess, uh, save you know, his brain. It's been without oxygen and such. It's just, I can't imagine, can you? But we want to remember uh, John's family in our prayers. And, totally different note, but I'm under instruction to remind you that Sunday we're having an open house from 2 to 4. And Forrest would love for you to come by. Don't stay forever, but come by. <laughs> come and go, zig and zag, in and out. But we'd love to have you come by and spend a little time with us. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Um, Landon Coleman, he's about 16 months old, and uh, he uh, had a seizure at church that they go to, and um, he's in uh, Lebanon. Okay. What was Landon's last name? Holloman. You can just put Landon on there if you want. Uh, okay. Okay, we definitely will. Anybody else? Riley, Riley Morris. I work with him at Cooper Tire. Some people here know him that worked there. He passed away uh, yesterday, I believe it was. Uh, we need to remember his family. Okay. All those have been hit by tornado last night. A whole bunch of them. Yes. One week. That is M O R R I S on Riley there. Oh, Morris. Uh, yeah, uh, odd to have storms like that when it's so cool, but they were very serious. Yes, sir. Tiffany Nix, one of my co-workers, uh, had surgery on the 16th. Okay, let's pray, and I, I know there are probably others you can think of, and when you think of them, you just mention them in your brain as we're going through the list, okay? All right, let's, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for a, a beautiful day today. Um, it belies the fact that there were so many storms yesterday and last night. We're thankful that uh, we were able to pass through those storms very well, but a lot of folks were in the track of tornadoes and high winds and just incredibly inclement weather. And 
We just pray, Lord, for those who were victims in any way of those storms. We pray also, Lord, for the circumstances that prevail every day with folks we know who are sick or recovering, and we're praying for their deliverance or certainly for their comfort. We pray for Irene Baker as she is in the throes of a terminal illness, and we pray for the comfort of her and her family. Bless Martha Eaton. We're thankful that she's back with us, but we pray that her foot's going to be right one of these days. Pray for Austin Wentz as he endures a long series of treatments. And we pray that this time is going to be beneficial to helping his body heal and eradicate the cancer. Bless Ann Stevens and Don Dawson and others who just have poor health right now. We pray for the Davis family as Wade is still missing. We pray a special degree of comfort through just a difficult time of the year. We pray for Carolyn Wilcutt and her recovery. Bless Bobby Petty as he battles lung cancer. Pray for Kelby Smith that he'll have good days. Bless Cody McGee that he'll recover with his foot surgery. Bless Vanessa Williams in her battle with leukemia. Be with Eric Fitzsimmons as he goes through some tests. We pray that they'll be able to determine a course of treatment that's going to help his body to heal, get better. We're thankful the Chopper's here and has been to so many of our services of late, but we pray, Lord, that you'll deliver him from this affliction, and uh, we pray the test that he's enduring, that something's going to show up that can be relieved and that he can be pain-free again. And we pray for Brenda, who's facing some uh, treatments later. We ask your blessings on Larry Kennedy, who is undergoing tests, and we pray that there'll be a, a treatment that will help to deal with this mass in his shoulder. Pray for Cassie Stewart and her pain management. Bless Danny Ramdahl that he can get the treatment he needs. Bless Cheryl Hoffman that she can be free from all this pain she's experiencing. We pray for Linda Beard and her recovery and look forward to her being back with us soon. Bless Van Roberts, who has pancreatic cancer. Pray for Paul Rollison and his brain cancer. For Reed Sparks, who recently lost another leg. We pray for Lex Crossan, who has several health issues. Bless Juanel, that she'll feel better very soon enough to get out and be back with us. Bless Betty Lauderdale as she recovers from her broken ribs. Pray for Pat Cooper, who's undergoing tests right now. We pray that whatever's causing her troubles can be discovered and that she'll be well. Pray for Dorothy Hester and her recovery, and we pray she'll not fall again. Bless Norma, who's been having a hard time of late. Be with Tony Presley, who has leukemia, and Diane White is just not feeling well today. Pray for Casey's friend, John, who is in a terrible state. And if it's your will, Lord, we would see him recover from, from this. But please be with those doctors that they'll know exactly what to do to bring about healing. And we pray your comfort on his wife and his child and just everyone who's close to him loves him. We pray, Lord, for Landon, who's had this seizure and is at Le Bonheur. 
We pray that whatever caused that can be determined and treated. We pray for Riley Morris's family and their comfort and for friends who are missing him. We pray for those who were affected by the storms who lost property or had injury to whatever extent. We, we pray recovery for these victims. We pray for Tiffany Nix who's had to uh, have a follow-up as a result of surgery and we pray that it, it'll be just a routine um, uh, workup so that she'll be better. And we pray for Nicole Estes who's suffering with kidney stones, a very debilitating uh, condition when it strikes and we just pray that she'll get the treatment she needs to feel better soon. Lord, be with us as we continue talking about the church that we find in the scriptures. And more than anything else, not, not just as an academic exercise, but just to have a better sense of what, not only what you intended with the church, but what you expect of us. Help us to reflect in every way your desire for your church in the world and help us Help us to represent Jesus in all that we do. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Okay, in some senses, we've kind of talked about the church, you know, forward-looking, talked about prophecy, defined some terms, and that kind of thing. Now, I want to see the church as it was unfolding in the scriptures, as it actually became a reality, not just a prophetic notion of something that could be, but as the church came into existence and all that was kind of involved in, in its arrival. Um, it happened on the day of Pentecost, of course. Uh, that happened in what chapter of the Bible? Do you remember? Yeah, Acts chapter 2. It happened also in the city of Jerusalem. Now, a lot of what is happening there in Acts chapter 2 coincides with the coming, the arrival of the Holy Spirit. You're going to remember, and we've touched on this before as we went through our study in the book of Acts, but in John chapter 16 in verse 7, Jesus told his disciples that in order for the Holy Spirit to come, he had to what? He had to leave. I mean, he had to depart. Both could not be in the same place at the same time, apparently. I don't know what all is involved in that, but Jesus was setting up a situation in which he was going to be ascending to the Father. He's going to reign there with the Father. And then the Holy Spirit was going to enable these apostles and then others upon whom they laid their hands, be able to work miracles for the purpose of spreading the gospel throughout the whole world. And one of the major points of that was the idea of prophecy, not just foretelling things, but of speaking uh, the mind of God. Uh, that was going to lead to not just inspired teaching, but ultimately what you can hold in your hand, the inspired word of God. So there was a lot involved, especially in those first century years in which God is revealing himself and giving instruction for the building up of, of the church. So we know, for instance, that the apostles, 
We're told to wait where? In Jerusalem. You find that in Luke chapter 24, verse 49. And also in the opening verses, actually, of Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. Jesus said, that's what you're going to do. Your next step is to go to Jerusalem and to wait. And so, ultimately, they did go to Jerusalem and they did wait. But again, what were they waiting for? One was John chapter 14 and verse 26. Uh, Who's our reader tonight? That text tells us something that was to be expected of the Holy Spirit. What was the Holy Spirit going to do for them? Uh oh. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Okay, so is that a great benefit? <laughs> yeah. How much time do they have to sit down preparing their lessons and trying to remember what Jesus said, trying to quote Jesus? They were able to speak it as it was being delivered to them on the spot. Now, that was going to do two things. One, for the purpose of preaching. Ultimately, we're going to see here in a second, that was happening on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. Secondarily, when they went places, what were they able to carry with them everywhere they went? The very word of, of Jesus himself. All things, right? And that what that text said? All things that I have spoken. So they, could, they weren't missing anything. Similarly, as John chapter 16 and verse 13, you'll see another word, this three-letter word used again. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. Okay, so now we, a different caveat, right? Not only going to reveal everything that Jesus said, but also what would they be able to do? Talk about what was coming, right? They're revealing, they're revealing truth as well. And a lot of times uh, we saw this as we've gone through, like on Sunday mornings, we've gone through the churches of Asia, right? Those are prophetic statements regarding what was about to happen. Who was writing those words? John was, right? Enabled to be able to reveal things that were to come. Paul is famous for a lot of things he had to say about what was coming, especially as he directed those teachings to Timothy, a preacher who was going to be around after Paul had left. So all these things are in place. Again, I think it's significant that this is happening in Jerusalem because, as we saw last time, that had been prophesied, right? Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Also... I guess word for word, at least almost word for word, is Micah chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. The word was going to go forth from Zion and the word of the law from Jerusalem. So we're anticipating that that's going to happen. And that is exactly what happened according to Acts chapter 2. I especially want to look at verses 1 through 4. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, 
They were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay. You remember studying this text. There was all this ruckus that was going to take place. And what, what was the result of that? What did everybody do? People started pouring in, find out what was happening. And then before you know it, they began to preach the gospel, Peter and those other apostles. They preached concerning who Jesus was. He's the Son of God. And you are responsible for putting him to death. Specifically, when we get to verses 36 down through verse 47, which ends the chapter, you have not only the declaration of what it would take in order to have their sins removed, but also all of the fellowship and the teaching that was going on and ultimately what was going to result in the beginning of the church, the basis of membership. Now, the word was going to go forth from Zion, the word of the law from Jerusalem. That was taking place in Jerusalem. The apostles have been told, you go to Jerusalem, get ready for it. They got ready for it. There they were. The Holy Spirit comes, imparts these abilities. They preach the gospel and now a momentous occasion, the day of Pentecost. But what was the basis of membership? In Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, when they asked what they needed to do, what were they told? Okay. They were told to repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the what? For the remission or the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is to you and to your children, those who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. Okay, so repentance and baptism resulted in what? Remission, forgiveness of sins, their salvation. They've been saved. What can we do to be saved? Here's what you do. I want to connect that with you, this verse, to Acts chapter 2 and verse 47. What does that text say? Okay, the Lord added to the church daily, who? Those who were being saved. Who was being saved? Okay, yeah, and if you, if you want to, go back. You can go back here to verse 41. Will you read that text for us? Acts chapter 2, verse 41. And then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Okay, those who responded in repentance and baptism were added to the church, right? They were saved. How many of them were there? There were 3,000. He documents exactly... 3,000 were added to the church. Who was added to the church? Verse 47, those who were saved. The saved then are added to what? How do you get into the church? Not, nobody votes you in. You don't have to be approved by a committee. The Lord added to the church daily who? Those who are being saved. Those who obeyed the gospel on that day. It's very simple procedure. Absolutely. They gladly did. It wasn't, there wasn't any coercion <laughs> or anything. Why were they glad to obey the gospel and be saved? 
They want to say, they're lost. You want to be saved? You obey the gospel. Now, here's the thing about that. It, it wasn't just like a splash or big event that occurred. That was true, but it didn't stop there. And I've always thought it's, it's pretty significant to think about the growth, the rapid growth of the church that was beginning in some very, very difficult circumstances. It's not like the church was already kind of established and flourishing and then we're just going to go on its strength in order to make advances. The church was small, it was fledgling, and it was being persecuted. So let's look at some things and just kind of progress through the book. Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, we saw on that day there were how many? Three 3,000. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, it says that he added, the Lord did, how often? Daily, those were being saved. In chapter 4 and verse 4, we get an update and find out there that there are how many, do you know? 5,000. Okay. And then chapter 5 and verse 14, that text says, that they were increasingly added. So we're still growing. Chapter 6 and verse 7, that text says that they multiplied greatly. You getting all this? Uh, in chapter 9 and verse 31, it just simply says that they were multiplied. In chapter 11 and verse 24, a great many people were added. And then in chapter, here, I'll get that in case you're copying it. In chapter 16 and verse 5, it just says that they increased in Number, by the way, that's not a hashtag. It's not a pound sign. That's a number sign. Remember when that used to be a number sign? They increased in number daily. Okay, let's look at this. Started with 3,000, but we noted when we went through the book of Acts that really that was a very small percentage of those who were actually there on the day of Pentecost. So 3,000 responded when they heard the message, which means the mass of people who heard it didn't respond to it, at least not on that occasion, not positively. But 3,000 did, and they were added to the church. And then you go along a little bit further, and you find out, well, you know, they were being added daily. Does that sound pretty good? Wouldn't that be great if that's happening here? Why? Something happened every day. But Turn around, next thing you know, there's 5,000. Okay, sounded pretty good. Now they're increasingly added, which means there are more being added than were before. Now they're multiplying. When you multiply, is that the same as addition? That's, that's kind of exponentially growing now, right? This thing is really catching fire. Then just simply, they're multiplied. Then we don't even really know how to say it. We just say a great many of them are being added. And then the commentary is, well, we can't really keep track. All we know is that they are increasing in number daily. Okay, so how was this happening? Were the apostles standing up, all 12 of them, every 
occasion they could in the temple and preaching and they're having that. That's not how this was happening, was it? No, because by the time we get to chapter 8, what had happened to the church? They're being scattered throughout the whole world, but the commentary in chapter 8, verse 4 is that they went where? They went everywhere preaching the word. So everywhere they went, they were preaching it. Not just the apostles, not just those 12, but all of the Christians as they go in all directions, they are preaching the word such that you could say that the, the church is increasing in number daily. But what are people telling us about the church today? I hear this a lot. And I just want to tell them, just be quiet. But I hear it anyway. And you've heard it too. What's happening to the church? Is it increasing in number daily? It's, decrease, it's decreasing. What is, is that God's fault? Has He dropped the ball somehow? The Lord, What in the world? He empowered them and that thing kicked off. But now He's just left us. Do we have every bit as much or probably more than they had? I'm going to assert to you that we do. Because we have the complete Word of God. So the only thing that's stopping the church from increasing in number daily is who? <laughs> I'm sorry. That makes me sad. Does that make you a little sad? Especially if I go look at myself and I say, well, I'm, I'm part of the problem. Is that how we want to be? Is that what we want to be known as? The generation that saw the church decreasing daily. No, no. I want to be this, don't you? They were busy about sharing the gospel with other people. Now, the Lord, the Lord, of course, is wise and sees the whole scope of things and knows that we need direction. And for the longest time, there were the apostles, but those apostles died out. What would God's plan be with regard to organizing and creating a kind of governing body or leadership for the church? I think that's another little interesting thing to talk about. So we're going we're gonna to spend a few minutes talking about, I don't like this phrasing, but I don't really know how it's to say it, to convey it. I'm just going to say church office. And I'm going to use Ephesians, if you'll get ready, Ephesians 4 and verse 11. I, I would use the word office when um, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, at verse 1, when he talks about the desire to be a bishop, he says that the person who does desire that is desiring a good work. Or he's desiring the position of a bishop. He desires good work. Position, work, office. I'm trying to convey the sense of an idea. Will you read that text for us? Ephesians 4 verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Okay. He says there are certain people that are given certain abilities and then they flesh out this way. And the first thing he talks about is apostles. Did Jesus personally select those apostles? Nod your head this way. Yes, he absolutely did. Specially equipped and specially skilled and then some <laughs> by the power of the Holy Spirit. But also there are others who followed in line in various roles that they could play. Um, uh, one, though, that I wanted to note was apostles because of what's said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 28. Because he gives an order. <laughs> and God has set some in the church, first apostles, 
Secondarily, prophets. Thirdly, teachers. After that, miracles. Then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Okay. What's the problem with that list right there? Because it sounds great, right? All those were enabled how? Miraculously. Yeah, miraculously. But we know that the miraculous, the miraculous was dispensed through what process? Laying on the hands of the apostles. We've studied that at length. So since that's true, then after all that happened, you know, seems like God has an idea of order and leadership and so forth, but the apostles are going to die out, the prophets are going to die out, all those who are enabled in these various ways are going to die out, then what? Well, what's interesting is that God also established during that same period of time another kind of leadership. And I want to look at, look at a couple, couple of terms, several terms here. One is the word bishop, an elder, overseer, pastor, presbyter. That's a word that's kind of fallen out of use, but it is found in your older translations. Uh, ruler. Ooh, don't like that one, right? Let's put the other word there. And shepherd. Okay, so you've, you've studied, we'll be studying these in our leadership class, but just kind of a taste of things. First uh, Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, you'll find discussion about the bishop. You'll find mention of an elder, lots of different places, especially when you address the churches. But Peter refers to himself as being an elder in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. Overseer you'll find in that text, but also in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. You'll find pastor in that text that we read a moment ago from Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. Presbyter. In my translation, it was old men. That's how it was translated. Uh, but that is from 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 1. And when you look at some older texts, you actually see the word presbyter there. Uh, ruler, actually, from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 and 17. And then shepherd, uh, we'll go back to 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1, although it's used in several other texts. Now here's something I want to show you. Like the word that's translated bishop right there is also translated, oops, is also translated by the word overseer. And the word elder here is also translated by the word presbyter. And the word pastor right there is also translated by the word shepherd. Uh, this word bishop or overseer is actually the word episcopos. Um, it has to do with administrative abilities. A person who can oversee a work. An administrator. Okay? This word elder or presbyter comes from the word presbyteros. A presbyteros, and, and I kind of gave it away from the 1 Timothy 5.1 text, and that is old men. It indicates, well, what's another way of saying old? Mature. 
maturity. That is grounded in the faith. That's the idea. And then pastor or shepherd, well, that's somebody who does what? Who feeds, provides, watches over. What's interesting here in, in this ruler is not one of those terms, but actually in Hebrews 13, 7 and verse 17, uh, those texts are referring to those who are ruling over us. And actually, translate ruler is right if you understand what he's talking about ruler. He's not talking about somebody who dominates over you or else Peter wouldn't have written what he did in 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter said that's the very thing they don't do. But what they do do as a quote-unquote ruler is to, well, what uh, Luther and I was doing over here Sunday night, and that is leading, right? Do you push? That doesn't work, does it? But you lead. That's the rule. You're to have respect for those who are in that position of ruling. What's interesting here is that one, two, three, four, five, six, seven words are used to describe one role whose qualifications you'll find in 1 Timothy chapter 3. I think all these words in one sense or another are actually used together, kind of blend together in 1 Peter chapter 5. We don't have time to read all of that, but just read 1 Peter. Well, you have that quick? Okay, 1 Peter chapter 5. Read the first four verses. 1 Peter. All right. I had Timothy. I'll get it right here. First four verses. Yeah. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, who, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of ready mind neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Okay, you can stop right there. Uh, did you see that? If you were sensitive to those words and how I bracketed them out for you there, real quick, you'll notice that he said, I'm an elder. What you need to do is shepherd the flock. So those are two of the different words. And then to oversee the flock. And then he says, well, rule, <laughs> but don't dominate in your rule, right? That's, that's all of our terms right there. Referring to one position whose role was to do what for the church? Once the apostles are gone, once the inspired individuals are gone, who's going to help lead the church? This group of individuals. Yes, it makes sense. Uh, not only that, there's another group of people. Those are your deacons, uh, you'll find a list of qualifications for them in 1 Timothy chapter 3, also verses 8 to 13. Deacons, go ahead, do what? 1 Timothy 3 groups of deacons together. Yeah, absolutely does, absolutely does. Uh, deacons literally, the, the word literally means one who kicks up the dust. So deacons ought to be doing what? Working, kicking. If you're kicking up dust... What kind of work are you doing? Hard work. You're serving. You're busy. You are on it. Okay, one, one thing. We have three whole minutes left. So one thing I wanted to remind us of is that, okay, we got these leaders. And I know how this thing eventually, over a few hundred years, this thing got out of hand. Men began to tweak with God's plan and started establishing various leaders over all kinds of churches. 
such that you had kind of a, a hierarchical system of authority that ultimately resulted in one individual being placed over the whole lot. That wasn't God's plan at all. What I want to point out is that all of these churches in the first century that we read about were autonomous. Autonomous. What does autonomy mean? Self-rule. Okay. Wait. What do you mean self-rule? Well, who's got the rule? The Lord does. First Peter 5 said there is a chief shepherd. You're going to shepherd, but there's a chief shepherd. So we all listen to the chief shepherd. But who tells this congregation what to do? Is it the church in Nashville somewhere? No. How do we know what to do? These duly qualified men that we talked about a moment ago, right? They are the leaders of this congregation. Who has a right to come in this congregation and tell it what to do? Nobody, only the Lord himself, yes? Where would we find that instruction? We're just going to sit at night and wait for the Holy Ghost to move us? No, you have your hands on it, I hope, right? Mine's computerized here, but, but the Lord has set up a system that can travel throughout time flawless in its simplicity. Um, there are, we don't have time to read them, but I do, I, I do have some texts that you can look into just to see the sense of autonomy. Acts chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 to 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. All of these had to do, well, at least the last two, well, no, all of them. All of these have to do with circumstances in which there were churches that needed help. But the main office didn't call each church and say, you owe this to this church. No. A plea went out. And then each church had to determine what? What they could do or if they do anything. Okay? That's autonomy. Being able to self-rule. Choose for yourself. Sometimes that gets you in trouble. Yes? But who will be responsible for that? You will, but your infection may not infect anybody else. We choose not to be infected, yes? <laughs> okay, all right, let's have our prayer and then we'll be dismissed. Thank you for your attention tonight. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the time that we've had to study matters related to your church. Thank you for the simplicity of it, how it's just laid right out there and help us to reflect exactly the church that we read about here in the scriptures. We want to be that church in this time. And Lord, as, as we were, I hope, convicted a moment ago, let it be said of us that we are a church that's increasing, increasing daily. Light a fire in us, Lord. Help us to be what you intended us to be from the very beginning. In Jesus' name, amen.